You're watching the sermon, The Church Grows, from the sermon series Called Out, originally taught in Sunday, October 1st, 2023, by Associate Pastor Phil Lineweber from Brian Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You may be seated. Uh, my name is Phil. Um, I'm the associate pastor here at Berean. If you don't know me, I'd love to meet you in the lobby afterwards. Um, but Pastor Dan Krause, our lead pastor, he is in the United Kingdom with Bill Heaton, our missions pastor right now. They should be coming back early this week, and I'm sure he'll report back to you on some of their work in partnering with some organizations in the United Kingdom um, that we're really excited about working with to see a gospel advancement on every continent uh, for the glory of God. That is why we're here. Um, just as a side note, October, um, since Pastor Dan's not here, we can talk about him. Um, so October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I would love for you all, seriously, to send an email to Pastor Dan at BereanFamily.com. And so and just build him up or write a note, drop it off at the office. Um, that would be greatly appreciated as someone who gets to see kind of behind the curtain a little bit the life of Dan. Um, I would say he uh, works tirelessly and cares endlessly for you all as a church. Um, if you could just see his heart for you, uh, he cares so much. And I, I, if that doesn't come through from his ministry in the pulpit or those of you who have met with him, it is true. We are blessed to have Dan here. And since he's not here, great chance to talk about him. But yeah, if you would just bless him this month, encourage him. If you have his number, send him a text and just say, I'm thankful for you. Believe me, those kinds of things go a long way. And so if you would do that, um, we would appreciate that. We're a healthier church if we have healthy pastors. Amen? So, hey, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 if you want to turn there. And I'm going to, um, for me, do something a little different. I'm going to read the text first and then uh, we will jump right into it. But I'm excited to continue to look at the doctrine, really, of the church. What is the church? The people of God. Who are we and why has God put us on this planet? And what is his will for us? Well, this sermon series is called Called Out, which is the literal translation of the Greek word for church, ekklesia. It literally means called out or called out ones. We're called out of the world to be salt and light in the world. That's why we called this series Called Out. And today we're going to be looking at how does the church grow? How the church grows. And we see here in Acts 2 at the birth of the church, explosive growth. And we're going to look at verses 42 to 47. If you'd follow along with me in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have one for you at the info desk. We'd love to give to you as a gift. So, all right, Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day... Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yeah, what an amazing picture of the early church and how the Holy Spirit, who had just been poured out at Pentecost, 
was working through the people of God. And I think there's a lot we can learn here for many of you. This might be a very familiar passage, but I'd like to glean four primary things that I believe if the church wants to grow, we need to emphasize. But before we do, I do want to talk a little bit about plants, all right? Are there any plant people here? If you'd raise your hand, okay, plant people. You say, what do you mean by that? That sounds a little strange. Well, over the last year, my wife Sarah developed what I can only call an obsession with plants in our home. You know, and what started as an innocent pothos plant became many pathos plants, you know, seemingly hanging from random hooks all over our ceiling. That wasn't enough. We needed, of course, a philodendron and uh, a rubber tree, a Chinese money plant, which reproduces like a rabbit. It's insane. Two succulents, a horrible name for a plant. And if that's not bad enough, a monstera that is taking over our basement. I don't know if you know about houseplants, but I know far more than I ever wanted to. And apparently we don't have enough. We need to propagate the plants that we have. We need to allow them to reproduce. And you, heaven forbid one of this, the infants dies. You know, so every one of them is a precious plant that needs to be cherished and nurtured to life. And so, you know, you could pray for us as uh, I seek to manage my own household well. You know, and it's amazing the great efforts she will do. And by the way, if you need a Chinese money plant, she has plenty to spare. Just, you know, shoot me a message. Uh, we would love to share those with you. But they continue to just reproduce, to take over our house. And everyone has its own specific set of needs, all right? Some need this kind of soil. Some need this kind of pot. This one needs this much sunlight. And when one gets sick, it's like the sky is falling, I need to move this one from the bedroom, now out into the sunroom. Oh, no, it's too much sun. I need to move it back. I need to put this one in the basement. This one's overwatered. This one's underwatered. This one needs to be trimmed or groomed. I don't know. Whatever you do to plants to keep them alive, it seems like it's taking up way too much of our attention. And, uh, of course, you know, just like with the doctor, the attention they need always come with a price tag. We need to buy this soil. We need to buy this pot. You know, but just like plants, our church... And our spiritual lives individually require a certain environment to grow, don't they? For us to be healthy as a church or as individual followers of Jesus, we need to have a certain structure in our life to support growth. And I want to use the image of a trellis this morning to illustrate that. What is the trellis on which the church best grows? A trellis is a structure that encourages and supports growth. And just like a plant needs the right conditions to be healthy, so do we as a church. And we as followers of Jesus need the right circumstances, the right environment to grow. I believe as we look at Acts 2 and some parallel passages, what we're going to see is the environment that God has designed for us to individually and collectively grow into the likeness of Jesus. That we would become more like our master. That's why I love that language, a follower of Christ. That would be imitators of Christ, amen? So let's look at this passage and see what were the circumstances, the environment for this new plant that took off growing. What was the trellis that allowed this early church to grow on? First, I think we're going to see that the church is, and I'll put it up here, 
just to help illustrate this. The church is centered on the word. The church is word-centered. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why is that significant? Because the apostles spent three years of their lives with who? Jesus. Christianity is named after the Christ, right? And the apostles, there was not a written New Testament body of work, yet the apostles were the closest access to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so what the apostles communicated was the words of Jesus. And they were devoted to knowing, applying, and obeying the words of Jesus, just like we saw in the Great Commission a couple weeks ago, right? We were to make disciples. And what's the primary means to do that? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's the, that was their charter. That was the charge to the early church, to teach the teachings of Christ to the church. It's like the wise man Jesus talked about. Remember who built his house on the rock? The foolish man built his house on the sand. The wise man who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears the words of Jesus and what? Obeys them. And so immediately we see that this early church, the first thing that's listed here, was devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were word-centered. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 3.15, that the church is the household of God, and it is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Church, we need to be founded on the word. We need to be a church of the word of God. Remember, Paul told Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, to preach the word. We need to be a church that's centered on the word. This is where our namesake is, if you didn't know this. Berean comes from Acts 17.11, and it said that these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were word-driven people. I think this is part of our church's DNA, and may it continue. If we want our trellis of our spiritual growth to be healthy, we need to be word-centered in our personal lives and in our church. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, instructing in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How does the body grow? By being connected to the vine, the words of God. This is why in Ephesians 4, when it talks about the whole body growing into the likeness of Jesus, it says the primary means of this is to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. And it was Jesus' prayer that we would be sanctified in his truth. And it says your word is truth. Is the word coming to bear on your life? Are you living a word-centered life? You know, about 12 years ago, my wife Sarah and I got to do a road trip. This was before we had kids, so we could do fun things like that. Um, just kidding, just kidding. We have fun things now. So my, my son Andrew's over here. We still have fun times, and we're looking forward to taking our kids on a road trip one day when they can last in the car that long. But we went all the way from Virginia to the other side of the country to California, and found ourselves camping in Sequoia National Park one night. 
And if you don't know anything about Sequoia National Park, you've probably heard of General Sherman, or these, these sequoia trees that are massive. General Sherman, and I think we have a picture of me um, by this tree, it's the largest tree in mass on the planet. Um, they, some of these sequoias are over 1,000 years old. <clears throat> you know, and you go there and you're just in awe. And we're driving up the mountain and these trees just start appearing, these massive trees. And I was driving and we figured out pretty quickly that was a bad idea because I c- couldn't stop looking at the trees. I almost went off the road and so Sarah literally made me pull over and we switched so I could just stare at the trees like a little kid and we could save our lives, you know. But these trees were enormous and huge and it made me wonder, why these trees? Why did these trees get so big? And why did they live so long? And so I'm reading on the, all the signs, and one of the factors, you know, really it's a roll of the dice, honestly. It's kind of just this perfect convalescence of the right environment. But one of the primary factors is you've got this line of mountains in eastern California called the Sierra Nevadas. And you have moisture coming off the Pacific Ocean, and when it hits those mountains, it rains, or really at the top, it snows. And there'll be anywhere from 10 to 30 feet of snow on top of those peaks year-round. And even where the sequoias lay in the valleys below the Sierra Nevadas, they get over 40 inches of rain or snow, snow every year, right? And so there's a lot of moisture. The ground is always wet. The ground is always wet. They have the perfect conditions. It reminds me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. And whatever he does, he will prosper. Church, believer, is your life rooted in the word of God? In the truth of God, if we want to be a sequoia in our lives, we have to have rich, well-watered soil. His word is living water. Jesus uses that same image in John 15 of the branches, the vine needing to be connected to the branches, right? And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, if you abide in me and if you abide in my words, you will bear much fruit. Church, if we want to be healthy, if we want to see growth, we need to be word-centered. Let us continue to be a word-centered church. And I don't want to go without saying that that means being a gospel-centered church. The word teaches us the good news that Jesus saves. And so it's not enough just to know a bunch of commands, because like we just sang, we will never live up to the commands of Christ. It's only Jesus, our perfect Lamb of God, who makes a way to know him. That's what it means to be word-centered. Learn to feed yourself. Learn to speak the truth in love to others. If we want to be a healthy church, we need to be a word-centered church. You know, I heard within the last month, two times, people came up to me and said, hey, make sure you tell pastor that he can preach a little longer. We're with him. We want more. I love hearing that. That is something we love to hear. Let's be a church that says, keep going. I'm not looking to get the lunch. I want more of the word. So I'm going to go another hour, if that's okay with you. 
Just kidding. They were devoted, devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were a word-centered church. Secondly, they were community-driven. Community-driven. Right from the start of the church, we see an element of fellowship, of fellowship. Look at verse 42, the rest of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That word fellowship, there really is not a good English equivalent for that word. Many, many of you may, might know it's the word koinonia. It has this idea of both Sharing, giving, and receiving and taking. It's a two-way street. It's not like I just come and it's just hanging out together. It's, it's a giving and a taking. It's a sharing life together. This idea of fellowship is illustrated if you just move down to verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. If you need it and I have it, can I provide it? Look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Biblical community, as defined, fellowship in God's word cannot be understood apart from sacrificial service towards one another. Let me say that again. Biblical community cannot be understood apart from sacrificial service towards one another. I think we intuitively know this. If you enter into a relationship seeking to get something out of it, it almost inevitably destroys the relationship. But if you enter a relationship or into a community seeking to give, it creates life in a relationship, doesn't it? Why? Because your focus goes off of yourself and onto others. And I think this is the problem with much of the contemporary church is we put out there, and you'll hear associate pastors put out there, you need community. It's going to be the great thing for your life. It'll make it so much better. That's me-centered, isn't it? It's centered on what I need and how it will help my life be better. Gospel community is others-centered. How can I help the community? How can I help minister to others? And what's so cool is in the midst of that environment, oh, you are so ministered to. You get to receive as you give. Spiritual gifts are repeated over and over again in Scripture. And I really believe that spiritual gifts are the language of love in gospel community. Spiritual gifts are the language of love in gospel community. Notice the text says that they were together. Together. That's an important word. There's love and there's unity. They're doing this together. And this is something in our culture don't we need to fight against? Don't we become so individualistic and self-centered, focused on ourselves, like my living room, my remote, my screen, and God calls us to do life together. We need to fight for the unity of the Spirit. Because, you know, the closer we get, this is a, a rule, the closer you get to me or anyone else, the uglier we get. Isn't that the truth? The closer you get to someone, the more you see how there's flaws. And that's the truth. In community, the closer we get, the more friction sometimes there is. And that's where love comes in, because love covers a multitude of sins. 
1 Peter 4. And again, the importance of being a gospel-centered community where we realize all of us are flawed and broken and in need of Jesus. And so we can learn to extend forgiveness just as forgiveness was extended to us. You know, another neat thing about the sequoias, their roots, even though they'll grow to over 300 feet high, their roots only go, in general, about six feet deep. You think, that sounds crazy. But they're holding on to something. Each other. They grow together in groves. And they have massive roots that interlock. And I think, again, what another great illustration of the trellis of spiritual growth. God does not want you to live your Christian life alone. He wants you to live in close proximity and look, look at the regularity that's mentioned here. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive food with glad and generous hearts. How often? Day by day. I mean, you want to say what the bar of Scripture is? It's constant community. Are you living in close proximity with others? And notice, too, the role of hospitality. It, where did they meet? They meet in the temple, but also in their homes. I don't know if you like having people over, but there's a sacrifice involved when you invite people over to your home. Well, there should be at least, you know. Some of you might need to work on that, you know, maybe clean up a little bit. No, just. But there's something involved. Maybe you prepare food and you invite people into your home. You sacrifice time and energy, your talent, to host someone. That's a good thing. That's part of fostering community. I talked to someone a few years ago, and they'd been in a church, not here, a different church for over 10 years. And they said, we just don't feel connected. So we're thinking about trying some other churches. And I asked them this question. How many people from your church have you had into your home over the last 10 years? The number was zero. I said, do you think that might have a relationship to whether or not you're feeling connected? Again, are you coming to get or are we coming to give? Are we seeking to be a community-driven church? Again, this is a gospel community. The word breaking bread, it mentions twice in this text. It's really a technical word used most every time in the New Testament for communion. When they're coming together, they're sharing the Lord's Supper and reminding one another of the gift of Jesus Christ through the gospel. So they're constantly, when they get reminding themselves, oh, I'm so glad for Jesus. I'm so glad that in the midst of my failings that Christ's body broken and his blood poured out was sufficient for my sins. The gospel should change our community because it acknowledges our mutual need for Jesus. Our church, your life, if you want to see growth, needs to be word-centered, needs to be community-driven, and thirdly, it needs to be missionally focused. Now, Dan already talked about this last week, and we had uh, Dave Connell share already, and I hope you get this. This is not, this is global missions, this is also personal missional living. Right from the beginning, we see this is part of the DNA of a healthy church. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Churches that do not multiply are sick. 
Believers who don't make other disciples are unhealthy. Just like a sign of health for Sarah's Chinese money plant is that it propagates, so in the church is it a sign of health when we reproduce ourselves in other believers and with other churches and missionaries. What fruit does your life have to show? There needs to be a missional focus. An emphasis on evangelism. We talked about the church sent last week, right? This is part of it. I'm not going to belabor this point. But if you think about both sermons that kind of take either end of this passage, in Acts 2 and Acts 3, you see Peter preach two sermons. Both of them are addressed to a crowd of both believing and non-believing people. In Acts 2, he says, men of Judea. And then in Acts 3, he says, men of Israel. He's speaking to a crowd of people, some of whom follow Jesus and some of those who don't. Immediately from the beginning, their thought was, we want other people to hear the good news of Jesus. To be a healthy Christian, to foster growth, we need to be missionally focused. That's what Jesus told them in Acts 1.8, right? You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. We know the Great Commission. The church... William Temple has said, is the only society that exists for the good of its non-members. The church is the only society that exists for the good of its non-members. And too often, and researchers have shown this, when a church turns inwardly and starts trying to emphasize meeting the needs of those who are here and keeping the people that are here happy, it kills a church. Because churches are meant to reproduce. And that doesn't mean, don't hear what I'm not saying, right? That doesn't mean we shouldn't care for one another. We just talked about community. Of course we should. But we need to have part of our DNA, part of the trellis of our church and our lives is living missionally. Healthy churches grow. We're not meant to be a holy huddle. Like you've heard it said, we're not a hotel for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Healthy disciples make more disciples. Healthy churches, healthy believers are word-centered, community-driven, and missionally focused. And last of all, and I wanted to leave this last, I'll be honest, in the text, this might not be the first one, I think it's all through it. The church is concerned with God's glory. The church should be God-glorifying. Look at verse 43 of Acts 2. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Look down at verse 47. They were doing what? Praising God. John Piper has said the reason missions exist is because worship doesn't. We're to be a God-glorifying church. They're constantly attending the temple together. Why? Because they're worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, and his son, Jesus Christ. The church exists for the glory of God. Worship or even praise, that's why when we come together, we should sing. We believe that we exist for the glory of God. It shouldn't just be mindless literature or the things we've already done, we exist to give God glory. Amen? That's why the church exists. 
1 Peter 2, 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, he's speaking to the church, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're called in 1 Peter 2, 9 to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, we are to be God-glorifying. Notice that they are also continuing in prayers. That's verse 42. I skipped over that intentionally because I wanted to bring it back here. Are we in humble submission on our knees to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? One pastor once said, prayer occurs when you depend on God. And prayerlessness occurs when you depend on yourself. You see, only God can cause growth. We can build the perfect trellis, but only God can bring growth in your life and in the church. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Notice here in this text in Acts 2, it said, the Lord added to their number daily. It wasn't their revival. It wasn't their worship music. It wasn't their preaching. It was the Lord. Who gets the credit when the vine grows? God. And so it's for his glory. He gets the glory. We don't say, hey, look at our trellis over there at Berean. Whew. It's a pretty nice trellis. No. That's not God glorifying. That's man glorifying. God gets the glory. Christ builds his church like we saw in Matthew 16. On this rock, I will build my church. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, they that build it. The church is not a business, building, or brand. It's the body of Christ joined together by his spirit for the glory of God the Father. The church exists. You exist. For the glory of God. The body of Christ. Think of that imagery. The body is an organism. And healthy organisms grow. Healthy organisms reproduce. This is the church. This is the church. The church, I hope, after these half hour this morning, I hope you hear. The church, the body of Christ, is essential for Christian life. The church is essential. And coming off of a pandemic where even government entities seek to say that the church was not essential, I want to say to you, the church is essential for spiritual life. If you want to grow in your faith, you can't do it alone. We need to be a, the body of Christ that is word-centered, community-driven, missionally focused, and God-glorifying. Ephesians 4, 15-16 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, the truth, word-centered, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, God-glorifying, from whom the whole body, sounds like community, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, numerically, and I think qualitatively, 
right? That we grow more like Christ so that it builds itself up in love. So what does health look like? If I was your pastor to challenge you, hey, what does health look like in your life? What does the trellis of your life look like? I'd say at Berean, this is what I would ask. I'd ask that every single person attend a gathering. If you're here, you can check that one off. We should all attend a gathering. We need to gather together to hear the word preached and to glorify God in song. We need to attend a gathering. Secondly, I'd encourage you to join a group. You need to have a few people that you're doing life with. Where there's a sense of fellowship or koinonia, sharing, giving, and taking, right? Attend a gathering, join a group. Thirdly, serve in the church. It's not real community if it doesn't cost you. It's not real community if it doesn't cost you something. If we want to be community-driven, man, find a place to serve. You already heard an opportunity to do that this morning, but find a place to serve. Maybe it's hosting a group in your home or leading a group or teaching, using your spiritual gifts, serve in the church. And lastly, I'd say, go as the church. Who are you praying for? Who are you investing in your relationship with who's far from Jesus? Who are you seeking to invite into your home or into our church? Attend a gathering, join a group, serve in the church, and go as the church. I think that's a healthy trellis if we seek to do that together. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was kind of doing a run-through right here. And I think the greatest longings in our hearts and in our neighbor's hearts, even if they're far from Jesus, revolve around a few questions. And you know what the amazing thing about the trellis that I think God has designed for growth, I think it answers those deepest questions that our hearts long for. What is the truth? What is true? We're to be a word-centered church, a truth-centered church. Where do I belong? Where do I belong? Am I loved? Are we a community? Are we a fellowship? How can I have an impact? Will my life matter? What does significance look like? We're to be missionally driven. We can be a part in bringing worship for the one true God all across the ends of the earth. And lastly, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Why am I here? To glorify God. The greatest questions in our hearts and in the hearts those we're seeking to reach are answered in the trellis of the church. We were made to know God. And I'd ask you, what's the trellis of your spiritual life? What would it look like to strategically order your life around God's plan for spiritual growth? Where's your trellis weak? Let's be a church that grows together. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you invite us into your body, the body of Christ. And I pray, God, that we would be a church that is healthy, that is growing, that is reproducing. Lord, that has your glory in mind, Lord, and is founded on your word. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.